You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast. To support this podcast, go to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and click donate. He might have said, I hate, I despise your endless religious statements that make you feel pious, protecting your phobias about those whose experiences in life are so different than your own, away with your worthless statement and drafted expressions of bigotry. Let justice roll on like a river and righteousness like a never-failing stream. This is Herb Montgomery with Renewed Heart Ministries, and I want to welcome you to episode 261 of the Jesus for Everyone podcast. It's a podcast where we talk about the intersection of faith and social justice and what a first century Jewish prophet of the poor from Galilee might have to offer us today in our work of survival, resistance, liberation, reparation, and transformation. Our title this week is God the Father, Exclusive Othering, and a Distributive Justice for All, and our feature text is Matthew 6, 9 through 13. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This week, we are going to be beginning a a series of podcasts on Jesus's revolutionary prayer in Matthew's gospel. And the the prayer is the one that we label today as the Lord's Prayer. And and this prayer frames an an outline um, that we can use, I believe, to consider the themes in Jesus' teachings throughout Matthew's gospel, and and there's much in it that I believe speaks to our our work today of survival, resistance, liberation, reparation, and, and transformation. The outline of this prayer is, Our Father in heaven, be hallowed your name, become your kingdom, be done your will. And then there's the second half, as in heaven, so on earth, daily bread, debt cancellation, and then deliverance from the temptation to evil. Uh, those are the themes that, that we'll be looking at uh, over the next few weeks. So let's let's jump right into the beginning one, our Father in heaven. Historically, the exclusive image of, of God as Father has borne uh, bad fruit for those who are neither male nor fathers. And and some in the dominant social position, they've weaponized uh, this this imagery. They've weaponized it against those uh, whose differences are are othered and then dominated and exploited and even destroyed them. And one example uh, that's aptly laid out by Grace Jisoon Kim is how uh, these images of God have been used against Asian American women. In her book, Embracing the Other, the Transform transformative spirit of love, she writes this, as a poor Jewish peasant from Nazareth, Jesus was marginalized and stood in solidarity with the marginalized throughout the Roman Empire. Jesus's incarnate life kingdom teaching, and crucifixion on a Roman cross unveil God as a lover of justice, peace, and liberation. While Jesus was a revolutionary, when Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire, Jesus becomes reimagined as a supporter of the empire. Classical theism in the West often emphasizes God as an almighty father. The patriarchal concept of God 
has often been wielded in destructive ways throughout the history of Western Christianity. Through European colonization, too often guided by a patriarchal image of God, indigenous cultures have been dominated and destroyed. Africans have been enslaved, Asians exploited, women have been abused, and the poor have been economically exploited. The male God image mediated through the Almighty Father has often had negative conscious and unconscious effects on women, especially women of color. God, the Almighty Father, has often been a theological tool used by white men of European descent to subjugate women and people of color. And that's from page 116. So this title for God, the Almighty Father, it's proven extremely vulnerable to being co-opted by sexism. It can be co-opted by racism, colonialism, imperialism, and and a binary heterosexism for the abuse of those who, though not male and not fathers, nonetheless, they bear the image of the divine. For many, the phrase, our father, in such a transformative prayer as this, it's not an appropriate place uh, to begin. Instead, it's a it's a trigger of of pain and, and and suffering. But for those also dedicated to to contemplating and following the teachings of Jesus, this first portion of this prayer it, it presents no small challenge. Um, after all, Jesus was Jewish, and and the Jewish tradition encourages practicing great care uh, with picturing God in one's mind's eye. In the Torah, we read in Exodus 3, 13 through 14, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. So this cryptic description of the divine within the Hebrew sacred scriptures, it, it provides for, I believe, a universal a universality in, in, in bearing the image of the divine. I am who I am is left cryptically defined. The, the, the question could be asked, well, then who are you? And, and we have to practice caution against answering that question definitively. Any word that comes next, any answer we give to that question will undoubtedly limit the divine. Um, God is more than whatever we say in answer to that question. And there's a rich diversity within the human race, too, that we have to take into consideration. And to believe that all of humanity, every member of the human family, all of our human siblings, are made in the image of God. It speaks to the rich complexity of God too. You can find that in Genesis 1.26. Our concept of the divine, it must become so expansive and inclusive. It's okay to speak of God as, as male and as female. It's okay to speak of God as non-binary and ungendered too. God is not just white. He's not, uh, 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 God's also black. God is Asian and more. Or God has traditionally been defined within the terms of white heteropatriarchy. We have to be careful to uh, allow every person to see themselves reflected in an expansive, 
image of the divine, because in the image of God has God made humankind, quote unquote, Genesis 9, 6. And, and to the degree that we exclude anyone from God's image today, history shows we will seek to exterminate those people tomorrow. And there's many ways to respond to this in prayer. Some of those who, who understand and practice this way of addressing the divine in prayer, um, they use th- uh, titles or addresses like uh, Mother, Father, God or paternal God. I've prayed dearest heart at the center of the universe. I've also heard uh, source of light and love, uh, God of all nations, God of all peoples, uh, faithful ones, source of wisdom or, or source of goodness, grace, mercy, and justice. On June 22nd last year in 2017, um, the Reverend Kevin Kittrell Ross, he addressed his prayer in the U.S. House of Representatives to the loving presence. And I, I, I love that one. And, and he concluded his prayer uh, with, in the name of a love uh, supreme, we pray. The Jewish tradition seems to encourage not limiting God with our, our images of divinity. In Deuteronomy 4, 15 through 18, it says, you saw no form or any kind the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the fire. Therefore, Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully so that you do not become corrupt and make for yourselves an idol, an image of any shape, whether formed like a man or a woman, or like any animal on earth or any bird that flies in the air, or like any creature that moves along the ground or any fish in the waters below. And, and I'll admit that the author's intent in this passage, it was most likely to discourage people from, from using creation as any kind of referent at all. But but I'd also argue that this passage, therefore, it leaves our image of the divine as cryptic, and, and, and that allows for an expansive and inclusive imaging that embraces the rich diversity of everyone. And, and Jesus's Jewish tradition it, it, it would have been it would have given him sufficient grounds to have addressed his prayer in a much more inclusive way. Women are just as much bearers of the divine image as as men are. So why does Jesus why, why does this prayer in Matthew begin with with father? And, and we can't ignore the reality that 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 like many of the cultures around it, Jesus's culture was deeply patriarchal. Householders were almost exclusively men. Householders were fathers. And and in rare exceptions, maybe widowed women might become householders. Um, But but there are some hints of another worldview in the rest of this prayer. It's a deeply economic prayer. Of all the things that Jesus could teach his followers to pray for, he teaches them here to pray for enough bread for today, for all indebtedness to be forgiven in a a jubilee fashion, and, and for the liberation from from, from evil uh, as a violation from, from Israel's covenant with Yahweh. And, and I believe that given the other content of this prayer, uh, that, that deliverance from the temptation to evil could have been, uh, when you look at the context, it could have been a, a direct reference to the way the rich were exploiting the poor in violation of the, the economic teachings of the Torah. In Deuteronomy 15, 4 through 5, however, there need be no poor people among you, for in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess is your inheritance. He will richly bless you if you only fully obey the Lord your God and be careful to follow
follow all these commands that I'm giving you today. These were economic uh, commands in the Torah. If we followed the economic plan, uh, it says there would be no poverty uh, there in, in that land. Uh, but, but back to our quest for understanding this prayer's address as our Father. Given that this prayer is grounded in economic realities and in the Jewish patriarchal family where the Father was the householder, the one responsible, that Father was, he was the one responsible for ensuing that no one in the family had too much while others didn't have enough. And John Dominic Crossan, in his book, uh, uh, The Greatest Prayer, Rediscovering the Revolutionary Message of the Lord's Prayer, on, on page three, he offers this, what I think is a fitting and a, and a quite possible explanation. This prayer, he says, uh, this prayer's vision derives from the common experience of a well-run home, household, or family farm. If you walked into one, how would you judge the householder? Are the fields well tended? Are the animals properly provisioned? Are the buildings adequately maintained? Are the children and dependents well fed, clothed, and sheltered? Are the sick given special care? Are responsibilities and returns apportioned fairly? Do all have enough, especially that? Do all have enough? Or to the contrary, do some have far too little while others have far too much? It is that vision of a well-run household, of the home fairly, equitably, and justly administered that the biblical tradition applies to God. God is the householder of the world house, and all those preceding questions must be repeated on a global and cosmic scale. Do all God's children have enough? And if not, the biblical answer is not. How must things be changed here below so that all God's people have a fair, equitable, and just proportion of God's world? The Lord's Prayer proclaims that necessary change is both revolutionary manifesto and a hymn of hope. Do not, by the way, let anyone tell you that this is liberalism, socialism, or communism. It is, if you need an ism, Godism householdism, or best of all, enoughism. We sometimes name that biblical vision of God's world household as egalitarianism, but actually enoughism would be a more accurate description. So, so really, what we, if we take the cultural context first and we take the content of the rest of this prayer, it would be just as synonymous to say our householder in heaven. Jesus's point is that the will of the world householder householder is that uh, is that everyone have enough within a Jewish worldview? The responsibility for carrying out that will it's been delegated to humans, and we have to ask ourselves what kind of a world have we made with this responsibility? Jesus is calling for a community of people that he called the kingdom to to come into being, where the distributively just will of this household, uh, this world householder, is actually carried out, and then. And, and this is a prayer within the, yes, within the contradiction of a patriarchal culture, but it's a prayer that calls for economic and distributive justice too. And how this prayer begins, 
it may still remain deeply problematic for many. I get that. But the prayer still offers much. There's much to reclaim in it. And and there's much there that can renew our hearts as we continue to to work toward uh, today a, a world that is safe and distributively just and compassionate uh, for everyone. The God who Jesus pictured for his listeners was a God who causes the sun to rise and, and the, the, the rain to fall on on all indiscriminately. And, and, and so if anyone's going without, we have to look for where's the obstruction? It's being sent to all. So who and what are preventing what we need for thriving from reaching all? And as often been stated, there's enough each day for every person's need, but not for every person's greed. And in teaching this, Jesus was accessing some of the depth of his own Jewish tradition. In Proverbs 29, 13, it says, the poor and the oppressor have this in common. The Lord gives sight to the eyes of both. In Proverbs 38, it says, give neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. This distributive justice that's spoken of by, by Jesus, uh, it, it also has its roots in the Hebrew prophets, the way that the Hebrew prophets spoke truth to power. In Amos 5, 21 through 24, uh, we read, I hate, I despise your religious festivals, your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I have made no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. And Crossan, in his same book, page two, he again notes, the primary meaning of justice is not retributive, but distributive. To be just means to distribute everything fairly. The primary meaning of Jesus is equitable distribution. And this was the, the great Hebrew hope of a, a distributive justice whose, whose fruit would be peace. In Isaiah 9, we go to those, those prophets. Isaiah 9 verse 7 says, Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice. Remember, that's a distributive justice and righteousness. In Isaiah 32, 17, the fruit of that righteousness, remember that's a distributive righteousness, will be peace. Its effect will be quietness and confidence forever. Now, Amos, he names the error of, of prioritizing religious ritual over concern for justice, especially justice for the vulnerable. And, and a couple weeks ago, this, the, the same group of evangelicals that produced the Nashville statement last year, they put out another ugly statement entitled uh, The Statement on Social Justice in the Gospel. And I'm not going to even link to it. I'm not going to put a link to it. Um, it. It reveals the drafter and the signers, I believe, gross ignorance of both the gospel and social justice. And, and how many times do we see Christians practicing extreme care for religiosity while either being totally ignorant or even opposing people's cry for justice? Gustavo Gutierrez, he reminds us in the book that we're reading this month for our annual reading course here at Renewed Heart Ministries on page 97, he writes, the kingdom and social injustice are incompatible. And if Amos were alive this week, he, he might 
might have said, I hate, I despise your endless religious statements that make you feel pious, protecting your phobias about those whose experiences in life are so different than your own, away with your worthless statement and drafted expressions of bigotry. Let justice roll on like a river and righteousness like a never failing stream. Jesus begins his prayer in a way that would have been heard and understood by his original audience. He paints a picture of a human family in that culture where everyone has enough to to not only survive, but also to to thrive. And and I believe prayer, meditation, contemplation, and practices like these, they shape those who practice them. And over the next few weeks, as we continue to to contemplate this famous prayer, uh, my hope is that it'll shape us too into, into people who work to transform our world into a safe, compassionate home for all, regardless of race, gender, religion, culture, ethnicity, education, economic status, sexuality, gender identity and expression, ability, or or whatever, that that we transform our world into a safe uh, home for all, where everyone has enough. Matthew 6, 9 through 13, this is then how you should pray, our Father, or if you're more comfortable saying, our householder in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us to Today, our daily bread, and forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Heart group application. There's a lot happening this week. Women all over the country are again hearing through our various news feeds uh, the rhetoric of of boys will be boys and that's just how boys are and he was young or that was high school and and even more. And these discussions, um, they're wrongly centered around protecting a perpetrator from having their life be affected uh, by being held accountable for their actions uh, rather than being centered in the concerns for and protection of survivors and how uh, that action has already affected their lives. Uh, There's never an okay age for, for rape. And as a father, who's having discussions with both my son and my daughters this week, I'm deeply concerned uh, about the messages that are being communicated to them right now. And as a human being, I I also witness how these kinds of statements deeply impact the women in my life. And I'm deeply concerned for what this continues to say uh, to women and survivors uh, everywhere. So number one this week as a heart group, take a moment this week in your heart group to go around the room and affirm each of the women in your midst. Tell them that that you value them and and be voices in their lives this week that are saying this is not okay. And number two, if any would like to share, make some time for the women in your heart group to share how this week has has impacted each of them. Listen to them. And and let me repeat that. Men, listen to them. And then lastly, put your feet in motion. What are some of the ways that your group can engage the work of making our world a safer place for women. Create a list. Uh, what are those ways? And then pick something from the list and, and put it into practice the following week. Thank you for checking in with us this week, wherever you are today. Keep living in love, survival, resistance, liberation, reparation.
redemption and transformation till the only world that remains is a world where only love, justice, and compassion reigns. Another world is possible. And remember, this is the time of year when Renewed Heart Ministries needs your support. If you've been blessed by our work, please consider making a either a one-time contribution or becoming one of our monthly supporters. You can go to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and click donate. And, and any amount helps. Thank you so much in advance for, for your support. I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week.